Uh, just a few clarifying things before we jump into the Word today. Uh, over this weekend, having John and Maria here with us, we have a lot of different people meeting with them. As they said yesterday, it was very full, very busy. Uh, and then we hear back from those people as a search team. Uh, so tomorrow night, our search team will be meeting to talk through the weekend um, as, as we've collected feedback and so forth. And then from there, we make a recommendation whether we are going to go forward with, with John or not. And that recommendation goes to the elders. And then next Sunday, if that recommendation does go through, then next Sunday, we want to invite the congregation to have that vote um, at church. And if you aren't able to make it, or for those of you who are online, um, you certainly can email uh, Lindsay, our office administrator, uh, about that as well. But as uh, I think many of you know, Gospel Chapel is, is a congregational-ran church. We want to hear from our congregation. And so that's just a bit of the process there, and uh, we want to continue to pray through that. Uh, and I also just want to thank um, our search team, Owen Spizak and Gary Peters, Elisa uh, Siemens, Hannah Martins, Tony Boschman, and Mike Wall. Uh, this team has been fantastic to work with. Uh, they have done a lot of hard work um, over a lot of months already, and they've done a lot of hard work this weekend, and uh, they're doing some hard work this morning getting things ready for the potluck, and again, we just would, would love for you to join us there. So I just thank you so much for that team. All right, I'm going to pray, and, uh, and we're going to dive in. Lord, we just thank you so much for today. Uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you that... Uh, you knew the plans uh, for today, uh, and because of that, we don't have to stress or worry or freak out about things when uh, they don't go the way that we thought they would go. And so, Lord, we thank you for today. Uh, I thank you for my friends and my family here. Uh, I thank you that you are good, that you are strong, that you are powerful, uh, that you love us, Lord. So as we hear from your word, Lord, we just really pray um, that it's you speaking and not me, uh, that you'd use me this morning. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, before we do jump into the scriptures, uh, I also just want to thank uh, my wife, Shana. We had a very jam-packed weekend uh, with myself giving some leadership to uh, this weekend with John and Maria here. Uh, so not only did she help with that, uh, but she also made space for me yesterday uh, to come uh, to my office during the day to work on my sermon, uh, because of course, I wasn't planning to preach today originally. Originally, it was Pastor Doug, uh, and so unfortunately, Pastor Doug got COVID, and so this is just the way things go, but uh, usually Saturday is our day together as a family. Uh, we, we try to really hold on to that for Miles and Nora and, and Shana and I, uh, but with the circumstances, Shana just, I think, really gave service to uh, the church family uh, to just go, yeah, go, go be with the Lord, go write that message uh, for us today, and so I just wanted to thank uh, Shana for that. One of my uh, favorite movies, A League of Their Own, with uh, Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks is coaching this uh, woman's baseball team during World War II. And, and one of the scenes, uh, some of the, the ladies from the baseball team are in a church and they're praying before the big game. 
And Tom Hanks comes down, and uh, he's in a bit of a huff, and he kind of goes, all right, all right, God knows we have a baseball game today, let's go, and he kind of shuffles them out. And I couldn't help but think about that as I sat down yesterday morning to go, okay, God, what are we going to talk about today? Because usually I think through a lot of what uh, I'm preaching on beforehand, a week or two at least, I'm, I'm percolating on it, so I just sit down and I can't help but just laugh, because here we are. And so I, I was kind of reminded of that. Um, God knows. Uh, God knew today that uh, I would be preaching. So here we are. And I can just rest in that. Uh, of course, most of you will know the most memorable line from A League of Their Own is, there's no crying in baseball. Uh, so there's no crying in pastoral ministry either. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's turn to the scriptures because that will be the most important thing today. We're going to be in Romans today. Uh, so you can make your way there because I didn't make any slides for you. So sorry about that. You'll just have to live with it. Um, but you should have a Bible at church. And if you don't, that's okay. Uh, but if you do, grab it. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3. And we're actually going to be in um, 5 and in chapter 7 today. So um, you can make your way there. We are, of course, continuing through the gospel project. And we have been going through Samuel. Uh, but every so often we stop within the series to take a look at a certain doctrine. And so today it's, it's kind of around this sin and, and redemption uh, piece, uh, especially as through the story of Samuel, uh, and certainly even a little bit before that in the Old Testament, it's been pretty bleak. Uh, and so we're kind of just taking a pause here to look at that. So in uh, Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9, and then we're going to jump over to chapter 5. And so feel free to follow along as I read or just listen as I read here. Uh, Romans 3, starting in verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then going to Romans 5, 12 uh, to 14. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So if, if you kind of look at, at history, and certainly if you look at certain villains in, uh, in movies, 
what's the scripture on the screen? Oh, look at that. Okay. Way to go, Steph. Uh, sorry. I've been talking a lot this weekend, which maybe isn't anything new, but anyway. Uh, anyway, if you look at our history and you look at certain villains from certain movies, there's this running theme that you can pick up on. Uh, a lot of times the motive for the villain uh, can center around this desire and, and this need to just kind of wipe out humanity and start again. You know, humanity has messed everything up and they deserve to die and I'm here to cleanse the earth, you know, says, says like the supervillain. You know, and, and you can see that in, in Avengers with like Thanos or, or with Ultron or maybe from uh, the character Apocalypse in X-Men. They have this motivation that, you know, humans are weak and, and they've just ruined everything. And of course, the ironic part of this is these villains want to use evil to eradicate evil. Uh, and, and so in Romans 3, it makes it abundantly clear that you could never wipe out evil from the earth by trying to do away with the worst people and keeping the best. Uh, Romans reveals the fact that there is no hierarchy of humanity. No one is righteous, not one. It's a little bit of a depressing passage in, in some ways uh, as you read through that. Uh, you and the worst person you can think of are in the same sinking ship together. A little bit bleak. Uh, and I can't help but wonder, as I was thinking about this yesterday, I can't help but wonder if this is at the core of, of some of our biggest arguments that we have today. You know, the tragedy that, that's happened recently with this 18-year-old going to a school and, and, and firing a gun and, and we hear these stories, and, and I think we naturally start to draw lines and go, okay, here's the reason why. It's because of this political party. It's because of gun laws. It's because of this or that, uh, these policies. But I think, I think we're missing something bigger. It's a sin problem. We've got this, this awful sin problem on our hands, and there's no policy or there's no convincing argument that's just going to solve that. And I think most of our framework with one another and, and even other religions is something along the lines of, I'm going to do this for you, and in return, you will do something for me. Uh, you can see that in a lot of religions, actually. Uh, but in other ways that we interact with one another, if I take care of my end of the bargain in my marriage, then my wife better take care of her end to meet my needs. Uh, I think if we're honest, we can serve when it's a direct benefit to ourselves. You know, it's tricky. Uh, and I think we do this with God. We, we serve so he will answer our prayers. You know, I've been so faithful, God. You should just answer these prayers for me. But it, it never works. Uh, and, it, and it certainly doesn't work when we come to know Christ as our Savior you know, you come to know Christ and you make a list of things that you must start doing and a list of things that you need to stop doing. But it just doesn't work that way. The gospel just destroys this way of thinking. We are all the same according to Romans 3. And I think without the gospel, everything actually makes sense for how we think and behave. 
Without the gospel, people can say things like, well, I'm better than that person because of my good works, uh, because of my wealth, uh, because I don't go and shoot at a school, uh, because I'm this ethnicity, or because I vote for this political party, and on and on. We continue to look at the, these lists that we hold. But with the gospel, all of that just gets thrown out. With the gospel, all hierarchies are just leveled. We are all broken and need saving and nothing we can do and no status or no power we have will move the needle even an inch in our favor. But it's so easy to think that you're better than someone else because of what you have or because of what you believe. You know, and, and if I was to put up on the screen a list of things that I think I'm really good at uh, and some of my, you know, really strong opinions or my core beliefs or, or the political party I vote for, I can easily show it to you and say, okay, I've got it all figured out. Just look at this list and follow this list and you will have it right. Um, but if you don't, then you're wrong. Uh, but instead, what I should write on the screen is, I am a no good rotten sinner and I am saved by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. That's all that needs to be on that list. You know, and, and Matt Chandler from the Village Church down in the States, he talks about this once in a while, and I, I thought it was an interesting way to, to phrase it, but he says, if we were to list, again, on this big screen, Steph, don't do it, uh, but if you were to list all the things that you did this week that was sinful and all the things that you thought that was sinful, uh, I don't know if anyone would stay in the room. You know, we'd probably leave and maybe move to a different town. Uh, we I, I don't want you to see some of those things. Um, and on the other end, we may even do really good things, and perhaps we've got some wrong motives. Man, you know, I think sometimes we just want to be seen, or, or we, want, we want to get a bit of praise, or, or we, want to, we want to get something in return. So that's why we do some good things. And, and this is something that I struggle with. You know, even today, even today, I'm going, okay, I'm going to pull this off. I'm going to run church. I'm going to preach this sermon. And people are going to see that I can do it. Man, isn't that crazy? That's a terrible way to think. If God's not in the service today, then it's useless anyway. It's no good. I need God 100%. And that's what I started praying this morning. I'm like, Lord, if you do not have this with me, then I am hooped. Like, it's not going to work. And I need to have that reliant more often. Maybe I should just always write a sermon on Saturday. I don't know. Um, but it's good. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, it's good practice to remind me of how much I need to be fully reliant on God. And, you know, originally, it's interesting, too, thinking about this, especially with, with John and Maria here with this, this weekend. Originally, I saw myself doing youth ministry until um, I, I retired. That was my original plan. Uh, and I knew that I wanted to be at uh, Gospel Chapel for a long time as a youth pastor. And, and I never really thought of doing anything else but youth ministry. And, and the day that I told Shana that, that I was done and, and that I couldn't do it any longer, 
was, was a really hard conversation for me. And, and I don't know if you've ever done something like this, but I, I thought about, okay, you know, the day that I'm going to tell Gospel Chapel that I'm, I'm going to resign, I'm going to finish up here, I had this um, picture in my head of what that would look like. And I, and I also thought about what my last youth event ever was going to look like. And you know what happened? Because it was in, in the middle of, of COVID and things were really tough, there was barely any students there the day that I said, hey, I'm going to be resigning. And in the middle of that, my son, because uh, we were doing a youth event in, in the sanctuary at the time, my son came down the um, aisle in the sanctuary here on a scooter with no shirt on. <laughs> that was not how I had pictured this moment to go. He came right in and he said something, asked me some kind of question right in the middle of like, hey everyone, I'm, I'm going to be finishing up and hey dad, uh, I'm hungry or something, who knows. And I'm like, what is going on? And, and I always just had it you know, pictured a, a little differently. You know, I, I, wanted, I wanted my recognition for 10 years. I wanted a crowd. I wanted a farewell. And instead, God taught me a lesson, and my son took the attention off of me. And it was awful. And it was beautiful all at the same time. Dan Allender, in his book, Leading with a Limp, puts it this way. The leader will fail, so he needs to confess his anger, his self-absorption, and cowardice, and serve his people by being the first one who needs to be forgiven. The true king takes the servant's towel and washes the feet of the strangers who are guests in his home. Not only is he the host but he also lowers himself to the place of a bondservant in order to follow the great king who has already washed his feet and forgiven him. As leaders, we are called to be prophets who arouse desire, priests who connect people to one another and to God, and kings who protect and provide for their people. But at the same time, all of us leaders are false prophets, fake priests, and sham kings who need new desire reconciliation, and courage. Oddly, it is in leading others to truth that we find our souls more wholeheartedly wanting what we offer to others and what we can find only in the perfect prophet, priest, and king, Jesus. So let's go to, to Romans 7 now. Uh, we're going to be in Romans 7, verse 24, and we're going to go right into chapter 8 as well. And uh, you, can, you can talk to me after if you like, but I thought Romans 8, I'm going to use the message because I thought it words it pretty well for, for what we're talking about. But in Romans 7, verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then into, into chapter 8. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, 
low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's Spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. When I know how dark it can be around me, how amazing is the light that comes. When, when I'm drowning and waves are crashing into me, how relieving is it when a hand grabs me out of the water and pulls me into the boat? And when I know how lost I am and how desperately I need help, how amazing is the grace of Jesus Christ the greatness and fullness of Christ is understood even deeper when I understand how bad off I am without him. You see, a life lived with Christ cannot function as self-serving. You cannot ask things of God because of things that you have done. It's a life of freedom. God knows how evil the sin is in your life, which is why the price was so steep we can serve Christ freely, not because we are expecting things in return, but because we love him so deeply. You know, we don't support missionaries and we don't feed the hungry and we don't teach Sunday school or volunteer at the Pines in order to get something in return. 
because we already have Christ, and Christ is everything. There is nothing more. There can't be anything more, because Christ is everything. In a similar way, I serve my wife because I love her, not because she better do something for me. I serve Christ because I love him, and Christ has already done everything for me. You know, it's not a matter of just staying in line and making sure you never go out of the list of rules. And certainly there are commandments in the scriptures that we must take seriously and we must follow. But it's living with the overflow of Christ in our hearts that spur us on to love and good deeds for those around us. Living the redeemed life is a life filled with joy, with meaning, and with purpose. And it's a way of life where all barriers are taken down and freedom can be experienced. So instead of, of maybe convincing people that, you know, here's my list and, and what I believe is right and, and what you believe is wrong, I think I'd rather show people and, and, and convince people that there's just a better way to live. And, and, and that life is, a, is the life of Jesus, the way of Jesus, uh, the good shepherd, my Lord and my Savior and my friend. Those who are uh, serving communion and leading worship, you can, you can make your way up. And, and so, for those, those of you who have accepted Christ into your lives, we take communion together to remember the work of Christ on the cross and his defeat over sin in our lives. This is... This is everything for us. And of course, we, we come here and we remember, but I also come here this morning and I remember some of these awful things that, that I've done in my life. But I don't live there. I don't stay there. And I, and I don't just wallow in that sin. I celebrate and I thank the Lord that he has redeemed me, he's forgiven me, and, and I have much to be thankful for. You know, we continue to see that sin all around the world and it's causing unspeakable horrors in our, in our world. And, and the acts of the Christians is not just to shrug our shoulders and, and sit on our hands waiting for Christ to return, as, as Abe talked about this morning, uh, which is important. But we, we are also called, and Abe said this too, we are called with the power of the Holy Spirit and that very power that brought Christ back from the dead to go into our communities and tell people of Jesus Christ and to bring about that redemption and we could do this because we ourselves have experienced that very redemption. We can tell others of the amazing grace of Christ while we strive to bring peace, hope, love, and joy in the hurting world around us. So this morning, we, we want to celebrate. We want to remember what God did for us on the cross. We remember that Jesus Christ paid it all so that our sins can be cleared and we can be forgiven. And this is great news for us. We have a heavenly Father who loves us more than we can ever imagine. We take communion together as a redeemed people. The Bible makes it very clear that if we truly believe in Christ and have a relationship with him and confess that he is Lord, then we should be make, taking communion together, remembering that Christ was crucified for our sins. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that... In the midst of chaos, in, in the midst of um, just the world that's around us and things that are going on, and even just the things that are going on in our own 
lives and the struggles that we have and the things that we, we have brought with us here this morning and wrestling with, oh, that we can rest in you, Jesus. That we can, we can take a breath and we can remember that even in, in the chaos and the, the reality of all of this, that we don't want to belittle it, but that we know that you have done a great work for us and we can rest in that. Lord, I thank you uh, for your, your body that was broken. I thank you that you did this for us. It's a reminder of, of how serious it really is, the sin that is in our lives, and, and it's a reminder of this amazing gift to us. So, Lord, we thank you. As we take communion together, may we remember that work that you've done. Amen.